Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Drive Into the Basket. I am Mike. I am here with Tommy. We are here for a bit of a mid-preseason review episode. Just going to be talking a little bit about our thoughts thus far and uh, leave space for a little bit of ranting at the end. So the Pistons still have a couple more preseason games as of the recording of this episode. Uh, they played their two, of course, against the New York Knicks. Their next two will be against the Washington Wizards. Those will be on uh, Thursday the 17th and uh, Saturday the 19th. That'll be the end of preseason, and the team will open the season against the Minnesota Timberwolves on Wednesday the 23rd. And from there on, the Pistons have a pretty brutal schedule, really, for the first half of the season. But we'll talk about that more in, in our next episode, which will be released before the season itself begins. So we're just going to jump right into who's probably the player of most interest to everybody. That would be Killian Hayes and, and really what we've seen of him so far and uh, our thoughts on the matter. Uh, why don't you take it away, Tommy? What do you think about what we've seen from Killian thus far? Yeah, so we talked a lot about Killian uh, going into the season and even during the uh, draft preview stuff, we all felt like he was kind of the likely choice, you know, being at a position of need and kind of having the skill set that the Pistons were kind of looking for. And uh, the two main issues were that we talked about anyway were uh, that he can't go right and his shooting is still a bit of a question mark. And unfortunately, both of those flaws were very much on display in these first two games. And of course, it's preseason. It's after a long hiatus. But it's still a, a pretty big concern for me personally. It was it was the reason that out of I think the four likely candidates that we had talked about, this is the reason that I was kind of low on Killian, and unfortunately, it seems to have continued on and to the start of his NBA career. We saw that even against a team like the Knicks, or they're not overly talented. Killian just could not get to the basket, and he could not go right. Every they would do the same thing every time. You know, they would just force him right. He'd kill his dribble, and that was that for the most part. I'd argue that starting Killian is hurting him more than helping him. It's quite clear that he's uncomfortable playing against uh, this tier of competition, and we've seen how easily they've gotten him to revert to his comfort zone, which is his left hand. And that's obviously a huge problem because, you know, you force him right, he kills his dribble, and the lack of spacing certainly doesn't help. But I think the bigger issue is that Killian doesn't look ready as of now, uh, and it's not a huge deal yet, but I think we should bring him off the bench. I know that you disagree. Uh, I, I know your philosophy for like developing talents is a little bit different from mine and certainly different from Casey's. So what do you think? I don't feel too bad about it. It's, I mean, I don't know if it's a little bit cliche to say, you know, it's only been a couple of preseason games, but it has only been a couple of preseason games. I think one thing that's important to take into consideration from the very get-go is that the offseason was drastically different. For, uh, than than any offseason, which the which any incoming draft class, or really you know any anybody in the NBA at all has seen, and geez, I don't even know when the last when the last offseason like this was. It'll never. I think what I'm what I'm saying is what I'm saying. I I don't know when the last time there was an offseason that was that was as as different from the norm as the as the one we just had. I'm thinking you know maybe in like the 50s or 60s or something. You know something was just was just drastically different. Whatever the case. When you look at it, a lot of these guys, you know, and a lot of NBA players in general, you know, not just rookies, but we'll focus on the rookies. The vast majority of these guys have not played competitive basketball since March or thereabouts. It wasn't a typical draft in which you get drafted in June. The season starts in October. And for the entire summer, you've got access to the team trainers. 
You've got people to practice with. You've got summer league. You've got an extended training camp. Really, you had these rookies come in and they're thrown in the fire right away. And their conditioning may not be the best. They have very little experience with the team on which they're playing. I mean, these guys had like, you know, I think less than a week of training camp. They didn't have any opportunity to scrimmage, according to the players, from what they've said. And when you have somebody like Killian who's coming in from a system in which, you know, he wasn't playing in the greatest league. I mean, it wasn't a bad league, but it wasn't the greatest league. And on his team, he was the undisputed number one guy. And then you're bringing him into a system against that's much more competitive with players who are faster, stronger, better. And you are just playing a completely different role. And really it's just, just, it's completely different. I mean, he, he just, he, he went from apples to oranges, so to speak with, with very little time in between. So I'm not feeling too concerned about it from what he said. Also, he, he said that he thought he was in good NBA condition. He found out that he really wasn't. I don't think that's a bad thing. Again, you're, you're taking, you're taking like a 19 year old and he's, he's never experienced anything like the NBA before. I mean, usually you, even summer league gives you summer leagues, a pretty good quality of competition. Even summer league gives you an idea of, of, of what you are dealing with, but he didn't have summer league. He just, he just came over from his experience in the Euro cup. And now suddenly he's playing in the NBA and, and, and all of these guys over the summer, you know, even in their training, were operating under pandemic conditions. People were not getting together. So I, I think we really need to allow for a greater period of transition. Now, whether or not he should be starting, I think it's still best for him to be in the starting lineup as long as you're not exposing him. I, I think the point at which you might kick him to the bench is if you feel like you're just exposing him to constant failure because that can be really tough on anybody. I'd say particularly guys in their, in their first year in the NBA. But at, at this point, I just think you give him time to grow. I mean, he's, he's just growing into a drastically different role uh, than, than what he's accustomed to against drastically better competition than he's accustomed to. And when we're talking about his performance in the first couple games, yeah, it, it did seem like he reverted to going rights. He just he had trouble overall. The first game, he was just clearly very out of source, just discombobulated, which I think is completely fair. I mean, I think he traveled three times. He pawned the ball once. <laughs> you know, those were – or maybe traveled twice, whatever. It was like half his turnovers were just those – were not bad pass turnovers. They were just screw-up turnovers that, that just came of being uncomfortable. But in, right. in in the first game, I, I think Casey ran one legitimate pick and roll for him. And I don't know if this is because Casey's thinking about, well, you're coming from a team where you were the center of the offense. And you, it was it's like Reggie Jackson in his first season with the Pistons when it's like, you know what? Our offense is based around just you and you running pick and rolls. And that, that's what Killian was dealing with in, in EuroCup. And maybe Casey's thinking, well, we're going to throw you in the fire and make you play a different role here. But it was kind of like he, he just got very little of what he's used to. I mean, your average point guard gets gets his pick and roll. So, and in game two, I mean, I think he maybe got two or three. So he's he's, he's also just playing a style with which he's very unfamiliar. His his shot's a little bit of a concern, but you know, I'm I'm really not going to worry about his shot until next year. If he's not a good shooter, like halfway through next year, then fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm approaching yeah. more from the scouting report. You know, his concerns were you know, the lack of athleticism, the lack of burst, and he's not going to be able to get around those things unless he, his shot is either falling and that step back is for real. That was one of the uh, 
big things for me. And he shot a few of those. And in some ways, it seemed like he was passing up a better shot to, to try the fake and then the pump fake and uh, and then do the step back. So, I mean, shot selection, that's not a huge deal right now. But I feel like it would benefit him to just come off the bench just because right now, just to keep the ball in his hands, he's he's sticking with his left hand. And once he can – once he, like, actually makes those pa- – his passing is looking fine. It's actually – Really, really good. Good as advertised. That's great, but he can't create in the half court because, you know, they they've game planned him. They know that he, they can stop him pretty easily if he goes right. And I think uh, it would be better for him to play against a lower tier of competition. You know, like bench players, so that he can get more comfortable with his right hand. Because his one turnover in game in, in the second game was when he tried to go right. Yeah, I think he tried to cross over to his right, and then he just he just lost it. He's just not comfortable with it, or he's not comfortable with either the length or the, the level of athleticism of the players that he's going against right now. But either way, I think, like you said, you don't want to expose him to constant failure. I think the way that he gets comfortable and like stops, maybe it's a matter of overthinking it. I think the best way to deal with that is give him a, a better, an easier level of competition so that he can add more to his arsenal and because he just doesn't seem to be up to the, the challenge of the starting lineup right now. And maybe I'm wrong and maybe it's just, you know, like it's it's two games. It's after a nine-month hiatus. But right now it seems like all the things that we were concerned about with Killian going into uh, his rookie year, that they seem to be very much there. I mean, I would say I, I think there have been things that he's done right that should be noted. I mean, certainly his, his basketball IQ, his court vision, his acuity as a passer, those are as advertised. He's, he's very good at finding the open man, you know, no matter where the open man is, including if the open man is behind him at the three-point line. He's very good at that. I just, I think, well, I'll just reiterate, he's been playing a style that is very unfamiliar to him. Like, it's not that he has been not getting as many pick and rolls as he, as he is accustomed to, which will never happen in the NBA. He's, you know, you just, you're never going to run an offense like that. We're just running pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll. I mean, that, that style of offense was pretty close to death when Jackson did it five seasons ago and and now it's just gone i mean you got to run a more freewheeling offense than that if you want to if you want to have an effective offense you're just going to have to but it's not just that he hasn't been getting his normal volume which he will never get in the nba it's that he's been getting almost no volume at all so you're taking the the scenario just the, the sort of play type scenario in which he is most comfortable and you're not letting him do it so i think he's looking worse than he would otherwise of course, there are there are concerns about the lineup, you know, the lineup in which he is playing, and you know, I, I will just say one thing before I forget. I think it'd be really bad if we're seeing a roster in which you're just playing five veterans in the starting lineup. I mean, I think that's just something to be avoided. Period, which would be the case if Killian weren't starting. I mean, it's not just for a matter of form. It's just like it's kind of like a what on earth are we doing here? And it, it basically you're ensuring that these younger guys are not going to be getting the minutes. Because let's face it, I mean, it doesn't matter how well Sadiq Bey plays. I mean, he's not going to start at small forward. Seku is not going to start at power forward, no matter how well he plays. That Those minutes are going to go to Grant and Griffin, and that's that. Maybe Svee gets into the ground level at shooting guard. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but whatever the case. I, I think that the starting lineup, I mean, I, I think you would have a hard time finding a worse lineup uh, in which to play Killian Hayes. I mean, you look at it, you have... 
you have Hayes, who, who really you want to function on the ball a lot. He has to learn to be a good off-ball player, period. Just you have to have that skill if you want to be an effective, an effective point guard, an effective player in the NBA for the most part, unless you're just a superstar caliber talent and it just makes sense to give you the ball all the time. And, you know, I'm not talking Westbrook, who <laughs> that doesn't work for. I'm talking maybe Harden, but even for him, it's not ideal. Like you're, you're and, and Giannis, of course, who, who I, hopefully for his sake will learn to be able to shoot threes because it's it's a it's actually a problem for the for the Bucks and has been a problem in the playoffs that he can't. But whatever the case, yeah, you want to be able to give him some time on the ball in a normal looking offense in the Pistons, and this is partly the fault of the fact that Blake Griffin is on the team cannot run a, a normal offense. I've said this about Griffin before. Great player, and 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 uh, the young guys have had only good things to say about his presence on the team. Uh, and in his role thus far as a mentor and so on and so forth. And it, it seems very clear that he's absolutely willing to be more of a facilitator on the courts for whatever that's worth. But Blake Griffin is kind of an anachronism. I mean, he doesn't really fit too well into, into any modern offense in the NBA right now. He's a guy who's going to do is being going to be by far his best on the ball, who can only play one position, who can only play a certain way, who's going to be operating primarily from the interior. And he's not a guy who's going to play in a free-flowing offense with guys just running around and and then just trying to find mismatches and, and so on and so forth. He's also a crap fit next to Killian because, again, he, he needs to have the ball a lot. He can pop, but he can't roll. I mean, you have you have Mason Plumley, and I think you could say with Mason Plumley, his play, we'll talk about this again a little bit later, but his, his play might improve with time and familiarity, but he is what you see. He's a guy who can't pop. He can roll, but he's not a lob threat. And if Griffin has the ball, he's doing nothing, and so is everybody else. You have Jeremy Grant, who's a good three-point shooter, but right now he was he was brought to Detroit on the promise that he would he would be able to take a, on a larger offensive load, which means creating offense. He's a guy when he gets the ball, he's trying to create on his own. Again, we'll talk about that later, but that's that's just the reality of the thing. And and then you have Delon Wright, who is himself primarily an on-ball player. And sure, sure, he might be able to shoot threes, but he's mostly going to want to take the ball inside into the basket. And it's just a mess of a starting lineup with very little spacing and, and just, just very little in the way of means to just, just run that offense where you give the kid, you give killing the ball and run a pick or do whatever, uh, or even just let him develop in the context of a modern offense, whatever. It's just a gigantic mess. So I think that counts against him as well. Sure. Maybe it'd be good to get him some reps against a, a, you know, against easier opposition. But I think at this point, we just haven't seen what he's capable of doing in an offense that is actually functional in which he's getting the opportunities to do what he's good at. So again, like we both said, two games in the preseason. <laughs> I'm not concerned. And, and honestly, the Pistons are, uh, I hope, you know, <laughs> I hope are not, they're not keeping themselves to a timetable. And I hope the idea is, as Casey has said, and I hope this is the case with all the, with all the rookies to let them make mistakes and improve from those. So if, if Hayes is still, if Hayes has shown no improvement over the course of the season, which I think is unlikely, then I will be concerned. I'm not going to start panicking until, or not panicking, I'm not going to start getting kind of anxious about it until next season. But the fact is that when you have a, a player like Hayes, who is very team focused, who has a great attitude, a great work ethic, and an excellent basketball IQ, I think he has a certain floor. And it might be a disappointing floor for the, for the Pistons, but I don't think he will bust out of the NBA. And I think he will be, uh, at the very least, an average point guard. So you got anything further to say about Killian Hayes before we move on to our next individual or individuals, actually? I think this is one of those rare cases where you're more optimistic than me. I think his, <laughs> or his floor is a lot lower than that if he can't go right and he can't shoot. 
Uh, I, yeah. yeah. Well, well, yeah, there's that, but I don't think those circumstances will continue. I think, I think at the very least he will become a decent spot up shooter. Like you said, he's taking some really, really difficult shots right now for the, for the, the vast majority of his three point shots have been, uh, have been sidesteps or fadeaways or step backs. Yeah. I mean, even like the reason that Luka Doncic does not have a great three point percentage is not because he's a bad shooter. It's because he takes super difficult three point shots. And, and that's, you know, and that's what Killian has been doing thus far in his first two games in, in the best league in the world. And, you know, on the plus side, if he can pull off those shots, I mean, we've talked about that. We talked about that under draft previews. I mean, it's a huge asset to be able to make those shots, but you also just want to take good shots when you have them, which he hasn't done. Yeah, but so he has, far, he's so not so. coming into the league with the reputation of being a great <clears throat> shooter. So that's, it's still a concern for me. That was like one of the things that he flashed in the German league that stepped back. And that was one of the things that we really want to see translate, but. I don't know. It's not. It's was, not like he came yeah. in. I know in, in the German league he shot like forty percent on those, but earlier that year he averaged out. It averaged out to about thirty percent on threes. No, oh, yeah, uh, you know, on threes in general. Yeah, he was, however, a very effective, like actually very effective pull up mid range shooter, which which just gives some cause for hope. And that's yeah, that's really good for a point guard to have. But it's good for anybody to have. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I think we just come back to two preseason games and, and, and just an unusual offseason. But even if there weren't an unusual offseason, two preseason games, you know, I don't think there's there's much for us to draw either way. But uh, I don't feel bad about them at all. So, but I mean, I see where you're coming from, but I, I don't feel bad about them at all. So uh, move on to the sort of conundrum between uh, between DeLon Wright and Svi Mikhailuk. Dwayne Casey came out today and said... You know, despite the fact that Svi, of course, offers much better spacing, he's more focused on <laughs> the defensive potential of Killian Hayes. Uh, Killian Hayes and DeLon Wright is, is a combo. Uh, you know, he mentions can Killian Hayes navigate screens and so on and so forth. This is a foible of Casey I absolutely cannot stand, that he gets overly focused on defense. And it's just a question of, oh, can these guys compete together on defense? Yes, defense is important. No, you do not sacrifice offense for defense. Casey did this at the beginning of the year last or beginning of last season. Reggie Jackson was out after two games and Kennard was still coming off the bench. And it's like, okay, it's one thing if you have Reggie Jackson and everybody was hoping that, you know, he had a healthy summer and, you know, maybe he can get back to the, you know, he'd look decent the, in, in the playoffs against the Bucks. And it's like, maybe this is a guy who can create some offense off the dribble for the team. Like he used to be able to do. Uh, of course, that didn't happen. So now you've and because because Casey really wanted Rose to be coming off the bench. You now have Tim Frazier as the point guard, and you've got Bruce Brown, Tony Snell, Markeith Morris, and and Andre Drummond, and that is a lineup that was absolutely and consummately hopeless on offense. And it's like, sure, they might be able to play deep in defense, but because they can't score, they're going to be down by ten points when they come out. You know, when when the bench players come in, you know, six or seven minutes in the first quarter, and that's exactly what happened. And it, it wasn't until I think game six that Casey brought in Kennard in the starting lineup. Kennard, who was a decent creator, uh, you know, not great, but decent. It would bring some much needed firepower. But beforehand, he said, you know, the, I don't remember who it was. Uh, one of the, one of the beat writers said, yeah, Casey said he's considering putting Kennard in the starting lineup, but is concerned about the need for defense. It's like, dude, defense is nice, but if you don't have the offense, you're going to lose. No ifs, ands, or buts. You're going to lose. And the lineup you put out there that, that has nobody who can create offense is going to be far behind when the bench unit comes in. That's just the reality of the matter. Wright is not a good fit with Hayes. He's not a good fit with Griffin. He's, he's not even a good fit with Plumlee. Uh, 
Uh, he's, he's a guy who primarily operates on the ball and, you know, he can shoot threes, but his pedigree is pretty undistinguished. He was decent last year on low volume, bad the year before. And with Griffin and Hayes already in the lineup, you just don't want another guy who, who's going to need to, you know, who's primarily operating on the ball. And you don't want a guy who is not necessarily a reliable shooter versus Mikhail look, who is an excellent shooter. Like an excellent, if you, if you just go by the ability to, to just shoot threes off the spot up or around screens, then Svee was one of the best shooters in the league last year. You know, he, he shot very well from three on high volume. So the fact that he's not in the lineup, I don't care if, if, if it produces maybe something in the way of a defensive liability. I mean, not having him there is the way to a lose games for whatever case he wants to talk about trying to win every game. And that's what he does. He tries to win every game, but it's not a good, good way to win games. And it's, it's just, it's not a good thing for, for, for the development of Killian Hayes. It's not a good thing for anything. So, but that's the case with Casey and his veterans. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this a bit later as well in this episode. Casey loves his veterans. You know, uh, he did not really for all, you know, for all his reputation as a developer of players. And I don't know, maybe he deserves some credit for that in Toronto. He did not really start developing that young crew, that young crowd of, of, um, of the bench mob of Van Fleet and Powell and, and, and Wright himself and a protal who ended up going away and, and so on until Masai, the Masai Ujiri, the, the GM of the Raptors got rid of his veterans. I mean, this is a guy who was playing Jose Calderon over Kyle Lowry because, because Calderon was the veteran in case he liked it. Uh, that, that was a long time ago, but that happened. So the fact that Wright is on the team means it's an uphill battle for Svi by default. So, yeah, I, I know I've I gotten to a bit of a rant on this, but you got any, any other thoughts on that, Tommy? And I, I know we're mostly of a mind here, but... Yeah, no, I feel like it's inevitable that Casey has to start Svi, even if it's not his own... Like idea, somebody on that coaching staff will recognize the need for spacing, and I know that Kate and you alluded to it. But Casey said he started Delon to split the ball handling duties with Killian, and even though I just said that you know maybe we gotta give Killian like an easier time out there, I think it's better. To, I, it's a better idea to just swap in Svi and let Griffin take the half court creation if necessary, because in, in transition and like when when the ball is moving and. Killian can do just fine there, but if if you just need somebody to get something going for you in the half court, Griffin can handle that, and then Wright doesn't really seem all that important at that point. And I agree yeah. with you. I hate the, the the fact that these these decisions are being made because of you know years in the league and veteran presence and, and defense. You know, it's just an archaic way of thinking, and it, it just needs to change. Yeah, it's it's also not a situation like like the the really irritating. <laughs> <laughs> early season, you know, indecision or, or just a lagging on, on Casey's part between Thon and Wood. Wood was an unknown. Speed was successful last season, you know, and he's, he still has space to grow. But yeah, you've got three handlers on the court right now. I mean, Griffin is, is taking, you know, takes them enough usage, you know, enough ball handling, you know, a little bit more than my liking. I mean, it, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's going to happen while he's on the team, but like you have cases of of Svi, of excuse me of, of Killian Hayes bringing the ball up the court in transition, or just bringing the ball up after a hoop, and he gives it to Wright. <laughs> it's like it's like are we trying to develop Delon right here? I mean, like why is he getting the ball? Like why not have somebody who can shoot instead and just have your two guys who are handling uh, who are handling uh, you know possession and, and Griffin and Hayes, which is more than enough. It's just stupid. 
I mean, I don't have any other word for it. It's just dumb. And, you know, I'm, and this isn't my case of saying, oh, you know, I'm, you know, look at me. I'm, I'm a great NBA coach. Obviously, you know, there, there are things that, you know, there are aspects of coaching to which I'm not privy and have no experience. But at the same time, we know this coaches make, you know, coaches have downsides. Any individual coach, almost any individual coach has a downside. And, and then they do things that are not actually good. And then we certainly saw this with, with many coaches in the Pistons over the last decade. And, and it's, it's the case with Casey as well. I have little doubt that we will eventually end up in the starting lineup, but it's probably going to be a while. So, <clears throat> all right, move on to Jeremy Grant, just purely based, uh, we just purely talk about his performance thus far, how it looks, uh, maybe talk a little bit more, a little bit about free agency as a whole later on. So, yeah, everybody knows this. He's looked like garbage so far. Uh, any Any special thoughts on it? Yeah, I think he's just trying to do too much in his own way. Uh, I imagine they'd want him to get back to his traditional role, make him more comfortable, get his threes falling again. You know, give him more of the the, the role that Svi is playing. You know, run him some plays, get him open looks. He he came in with a reputation as a guy who can knock down threes, so maybe they wanted to take advantage of that early on and have him attack defenders straight away. But it's just not part of his skill set. You know, he's settling for contested long twos, and that's just that needs to be cut completely. You know, they brought him here. I, you, you, I know you're particularly upset about this because it's like he's in this weird position where he's probably not part of the future. So why are we giving him all this money and all this run at the expense of these young guys? And I agree with you. The, the signing doesn't make much sense, especially if, you know, he's just kind of displaying the fact that he's not much more than a 3 and D guy. And, of course, you know, two games. But I, I think he's just trying to do too much too soon at the very least, you know let him get comfortable and then uh, then maybe like run a play or two for him where he attacks the basket. And if anything, if he wants to do more, maybe just let him be like a drive and kick guy. You know, you can't have too many of those. Well, he's not really a threat off the drive is the issue. <laughs> you mentioned this in the last episode that his uh, last year, last season, that in which he was pretty effective. He was excellent when finishing offense that was created by others, whether that be cuts to baskets or spot up three point shooters. He was really, really quite bad whenever he on the rare occasion that he tried to create anything for himself. I place very little probability. Uh, well, let's say, I would say rather that the, the probability of, of him becoming good off the dribble player, I think is pretty low. And it's like you said, why is he even on this team in the first place? You know, especially why was he promised like, Oh, uh, you can come here and get more usage when they'll just be sucking usage, not only minutes, but also usage away from younger players. But yeah, it, it's it's exactly what I thought it would be in terms of how it looks and how he is how it's how it's gone. Again, only two preseason games, sure, but I don't think this is gonna change. I don't think Jeremy Grant has it in him to become an effective creator off the dribble. Maybe he maybe it can be a case where you know he's, he's more able to just attack the basket from the perimeter off a pick or you know, through a lane that's not entirely open, he becomes a better finisher, uh, you know, against, you know, when it, when it's contested to a greater degree and who knows, maybe he can become a, a decent pull up three point shooter. I don't think he's a guy who's going to become, who's going to be beating anybody in isolation on an efficient basis. Yeah. This his mid range pull ups. I mean, again, the proviso again, preseason, whatever, but uh, there are, I think two instances in which he had an open three, and decided, no, I'm going to 
create offense off the dribble. And he dribbled in and took it and took a long two. And it's like the, the shirt, do you want to have more of a role? This is, this is not how it looks, but uh, I'd weigh the odds at maybe like 10% that he becomes an effective creator, maybe even become a more effective creator. But again, the question is like, what the, what on earth is he doing here? Like, are we just trying to help him play his way into a bigger contract? I mean, like, what is he doing here? But that's a different story. Like you said, I think that he will probably fail and settle more, uh, settle back more into a three and D role. Uh, just, you know, three and D and finish. Well, the D is always going to be there, but just shooting threes and attacking open lanes. And maybe he'll become like a tertiary creator. But I mean, this, this is less just based on uh, two preseason games than based on what he has been able to do in his entire career so far and how horribly ugly he looks when he puts the ball on the floor. All right, so moving on to somebody I, I know you've been happy about thus far. A lot of Pistons fans have, have, have been happy about this. It's uh, the performance of Sadiq Bey. What have you seen from him? Yeah, he's kind of done what you would hope Grant would have done is just play his game, not do too much, and just quietly do his job. Uh, he's come in pretty much exactly what was as advertised. You know, he's a great defender, great positional defender, head on a swivel. And he's knocking down his threes, at least in, in game one, I know that he did. Uh, I think he's taken maybe one off-balance shot that maybe I wouldn't have taken. But other than that, he, his recognition and his decision-making are great. And then the two things, or two or three things I like wanted him to add to were like his decision-making on the perimeter in terms of whether he drives inside or he takes a shot. He sharpened that up. You know, There's no pause when he catches the ball and then decides what to do. Uh, he's pretty much catching immediately hoisting it or he's driving inside. And then the other thing that we saw a little bit of was like a flash of uh, perimeter creation or like, I guess you could call it isolation scoring. Uh, he caught the ball. He drove inside and he pulled up for a contested two. And that's not a great shot that you want anybody taking, but he made it. And it's a flash of something more. You know, we, we talked about how he doesn't have the greatest burst and that kind of limits him to being a role player. But if he can, you know, break guys down off the dribble, uh, he can potentially be a guy who drives inside and he has the vision uh, that we've seen uh, to kick it back out. And that's another drive and kick guy who can, you know, who, who demands attention on, on defense, on, you know, on offense uh, from defenders. And uh, I'm just really, really happy with what we've seen from him. I, if there was a rookie that I would start, it would be Sadiq, not Killian. I, I and you, like you said, it's not going to be him because it's going to be Grant and, uh, uh, Griffin, but wherever you can find minutes for him on the wing, give it to him because he's played really, really well. And uh, I think he, this is one of those things that like, especially with Grant taking up all the minutes that he's taking up, you know, you'd really like to see more of those go to Sadiq. So I've just been really happy with him. What do you think? I think that he has basically done what, what we how we described him, we'll put it this way, how we described him in our draft profiles, I think uh, has, has turned out to be accurate. He's clearly mature beyond his years. He's not at all tentative. He he looks like he's very confident in what he's doing. He, I mean, he looks like an NBA veteran already. Always looking to make the right decision in, in terms of shot versus pass. It, he's clearly always thinking. His shot form's a little weird. You know, it's, it's, uh, yeah. it's kind of like a set shot, but whatever. If it's not getting blocked, then who cares? I, I think just, just like I've thought since, uh, excuse me, uh, we didn't 
go over on our draft previews, our draft review rather. So uh, I, I think that's just as I, as I've thought since since he was selected. I think he has a high floor. He's going to be in the NBA for a long time, and I, I think he'll be a high caliber role player. I mean, I, I think. I mean, obviously, I'm not I'm not pegging that based on two preseason games. Just 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 based on his skill set, and and on defense, he's you know he's not the quickest, but he's certainly very intelligent and, and disciplined. So yeah, I hope he gets those minutes. It just boils down to again that <laughs> Jeremy Grant plays. I don't think Bay will see a ton of minutes power forward. I think he may just end up being a wing in the NBA. But, you know, Jeremy Grant plays at the same position as as four, you know, four of Detroit's young players, Svi, Jackson, uh, Seku, though he's primarily a power forward, but you got Griffin there, uh, and Bay. So it's like, where do you find these minutes without stripping them away from somebody else? But I've been happy with him. And... I don't think he's really a player worthy of hype, but I think he'll be he'll be a reliable and, and valuable presence for the Pistons. I, I think for a long time. Again, not basing this off of two preseason games. I've felt this way since since the, you know the day he was drafted. All right, next up, uh, Mason Plumley. I don't have much to say about Plumley beyond what you see is what you get. I mean, as, as I said early in this episode, he'll probably improve with with time and familiarity, but his ceiling is not high at all. There is not much he has to offer. He is a guy who can set picks. He is he's uh, he's decent on is uh, fairly good in the past on the roll. Not uh, because you know when he gets the ball under the basket, he's fairly good at scoring it. He's not really much of a lob threat, which sucks. Very nice to have a lob threat. He's not going to score at all unless you get him the ball really under the basket. We've seen some hilarious cases in which he's tried to isolate in the first two preseason games, and he's just it's obviously this is now not something he's ever going to be able to do. He can't space the floor, you know, he, he can't pop off the pick. And there is an inherent cost, an inherent opportunity cost to your offense to having a traditional center on the floor. It's not just uh, when you look at, uh, when you look at a player's presence on the floor, it's not only what they can provide, it's what they can't provide that another player might be able to, uh, or, or just the cost in terms of what can't be done because they are on the court. Now, you can't run a fully modern offense with a traditional center on the court. It hurts that he's not able to shoot. That uh, is is un- is unfortunate. And if we're, uh, I know there was some ado about you know, oh, they just wanted a good role man for 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 Killian Hayes, but you know, eight million upwards of eight million, and if you want to split the dead money between uh, that that was needed in order to sign Grant and Plumlee, if you want to split them between the two of them, <laughs> that ends up being ten million or whatever. You know who's a great, would have been a great role man for Killian Hayes is Christian Wood, who is a fantastic role man. He is an absolute lob threat and he can pop. Okay. There's your role man. Instead, you got Miles Plumley and, and you overpaid Jeremy Grant instead. So, whatever. And, and on defense, Plumley is nothing special. So, that is a great way to describe Mason Plumley is nothing special. And what you've seen from him in preseason is exactly what he's going to give for you in the regular season. And uh, that's not much and he's overpaid. And I've seen him referred to as a glorified assistant coach. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's there for, but it's still ugly. And I hate the fact that this is the guy you have playing next to Killian Hayes. Also playing next to Blake Griffin. And I don't care about the Pistons winning, but it's ugly as hell to put a, a traditional center next to Blake Griffin. It's just ugly and you don't want it. Yeah, I, I know you're not as low on Plumley, but I think that's, again, I think primarily just because you think he's around to be that assistant coach. Right. 
Exactly. I mean, in this, in the, uh, in the context that you laid out with, you know, losing Christian Wood and how effective he would be compared to Plumlee. Yeah, that sucks. But, you know, as given that the Pistons aren't trying to win right now, the only real thing that bothers me is that, yeah, it's probably going to hurt Killian's development, not having a guy who he can, I mean, and Killian's been putting up lobs and they're not on target, but I feel like a guy like Christian might be able to make some of those work, but Plumlee, I mean, he can barely catch it above the rim. Uh, I will say this though. I think Plumlee especially will benefit from more playing time, not more minutes on the court, but like more experience with the team because he's an X's and O's guy and him and Killian clearly, they just don't know each other yet. Uh, there's miles of space between them on screens. Uh, pretty much everybody actually is having trouble working screens on both ends of the floor. The communication just isn't there yet. Uh, the guys just haven't learned their their teammates, and that's to be expected with the roster that's bringing back four players from last year. But I don't think Plumlee's going, Plumlee's going to be this bad uh, through the rest of the season. I just think he's not going to be very good. Yeah, I mean, my, my thing about Christian Wood, I spoke about in previous episodes about worrying about Pistons winning more games than I would like. I did not anticipate the Pistons bringing in Mason Plumlee for <laughs> $25 million. <laughs> so... I've, I don't know if I said this in the last episode, but it's like, dude, if you want a good role man and somebody can catch lobs, pay Damian Jones. He's a horrible defender, but he's super athletic. He's a really good, you know, he's really good at scoring in the paint, and he's super, you know, he's an absolute lob threat. He's a really good role man. Like Mason Plumley has an absolutely definite ceiling on what he's going to be able to give to you, and and familiarity will help. But he's still a guy who can't shoot. Uh, he is decent, but not great as a role man. He's bad defender, which which can play and not bad. He's he's an, a mediocre defender, average at best, which can play into the lineups Casey is willing to put on the floor. And you know, just whatever. If you're going to pay Mason Plumlee, you know, eight plus million plus dead cap uh, against, it's just like, dude, just pay Christian Wood like thirteen and change, which is what he got from the Rockets. And, and this is assuming he'd be willing to sign with the Pistons. He he did come out in social media somewhere and say he was willing to resign with the Pistons. You know who knows about the truth of that? Who knows how he'll perform with with the Rockets? But it's like, and you give me any day, give me, you know, even if we say Mason pull me like nine and a half, if you're splitting that dead cap uh, proportionally, you know, give me Christian Wood at like four and a half million dollars more than that. Like it, literally, just any day, please. That is that makes all the sense in the world. Just give us Christian Wood at that price. He is better for everything the Pistons are trying to do, aside from maybe the character and and whatever Plumlee provides off the court, which. You know, and then there were my concerns about Christian Wood's attitude, but yeah. So moving on to the other two centers in the roster, both traditional centers right now. Uh, why don't you tell us why you absolutely love Julia Love before? <laughs> uh, I know you're joking, but man, I'm so tired of Okafor. Uh, this really ties into exactly what you were talking about. I mean, it's really it's still puzzling to me that they've signed three traditional centers, and we talked about in the draft preview how maybe Stewart has uh, something of a jump shot. I don't think we've seen him even take one yet, but Okafor just—he's not what you want in the NBA today. He's slower coming up the court. He's—he's he's not even—he's not even that much of a lob threat. Uh, I don't know why he's getting all these minutes over Stewart. I mean, both games Stewart has come in and he's played in like the last eight minutes. And I just prefer his presence on the court so much more than I do Okafor's. I mean, Okafor, he's had, you know, 
issues with like character in in the past. And Casey says everybody gets a clean slate, but I thought the reason that they brought Stewart in here was because one, he's like such a high energy guy on and off the court. He's very like well liked by uh, his previous team, and on the court, he's just a great presence. Stewart, that is. I don't know why you would choose to play him eight minutes with like the third string at the very end. He was out there hustling, cont- uh, fighting for rebounds with uh, a much taller, much more, you know, a much more athletic in terms of his leaping ability center in uh, Mitchell Robinson. And I-, I just don't understand why they would choose Okafor. I guess it just goes back to Casey's preference of veterans, but. Uh, I guess I would just like to see Isaiah Stewart get a lot more minutes. Prim- preferably, I'd like him to get all the backup minutes. I think that's his role is just like an excellent backup center. I don't think he has the hops or the creation or the spacing that would make him a long-term or like a, a corner piece or a cornerstone piece for uh, a championship team as a starter. But as an energy guy, a hustle guy, he's just far and away better than Okafor. So I, for all the talk that Casey's – has done about like, you know, you have to earn your spot with your defense and your effort. Stewart probably exemplifies that more than anybody on the team right now, just in these limited minutes. You know, yeah. He's he's the first guy down the court and he's really like that. That was one of the big things with him was the, the fact that he, you know, hustles so hard down the court. He's trying to get those open possessions uh, by beating his man in transition. And he's held up on that, on that front. So I don't know why Okafor is getting those minutes because he, he honestly just reminds me of Drummond in that way. Oh, well, why he's getting the minutes, it's just super important that we develop too little Okafor, you know? I mean, jokes aside, yeah, I, I have no idea. It's like I said, I wasn't a huge fan of the sign to begin with. It was kind of like a whatever sort of thing uh, because he's on a minimum deal, though it's two years, which didn't really make any sense to me. I guess you're gambling on maybe him being good and then you have him on, on a cheap contract for another year. But, like... I, I thought it was very unlikely to succeed. So here's what Okafor is. He's a good interior scorer, and that is it. He can't shoot. He can't pass. He's a bad defender. He's a decent role man, but nothing special. And, and you know, obviously, you know, this is an era in the NBA where where that's exactly the kind of player you want. You know, the guy who, can, you know, who can't shoot, can't switch, you know, is a terrible defender uh, and, and provides just nothing on utility on offense. He wants to post up, and, and that's... God, it's just like, what purposes can he possibly serve in this team? Why is he getting these minutes? He is exactly as advertised, you know, exactly what we thought he would be. Going vegan hasn't changed the fact that he is good for nothing but scoring under the basket. You know, you can talk about vegan jaw. Yay. That's about the, you know, that, that that's about the most enjoyment I've gotten out of him being on a team is just the jokes about that. And I haven't really gotten any enjoyment out of those. It's just mildly funny. Like, why is he getting these minutes over Stewart, who actually has some importance to the future of the team? Julia Okafor is a known quantity. He is a known quantity. It, 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 you know, just enumerated his skills. He is a good scorer under the basket. Even against the Knicks, he was a defensive disaster. And yet he's not quick. He's not a good transition player. He's not good at anything but scoring under the basket. That is it. If that's what you wanted, keep Tony Bradley. <laughs> if that's yeah, what sure, you want, you Stewart. I mean, that was one of his things yeah. at Washington. He was such a good post player. And that's even though, even though it's not like modern offense in the NBA – why would you play Okafor if what you want is interior scoring? Yeah. It just makes it's no it, sense to me. Yeah. It's just one of those things where, of course, you know, there's always the proviso that you don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes. But yeah, Okafor, 
you know, you're not going to develop the guy. He has no real utility to the Pistons in, in present or in future. Meanwhile, you have Stewart. Yeah, like you said, I mean, we've seen very little for, from him because Okafor is getting those minutes. Okafor, who provides nothing of real benefits at all, uh, you know, is not good for the present or the future. He's not good for the other young guys in the court with him. So, yeah, why not give those minutes to Stewart? Yeah, clearly a very high-effort guy. I'd like to see him take some threes. But, uh, yeah, he's got some bounce. He's, he's not the most vertically explosive, which does remove him as a love threat, but neither is Okafor. Yeah, it's just irritating. It's just one of these... Super, super annoying Casey foibles. And maybe it's just two games through preseason. Okafor is not going to get the minutes in the next two games. Maybe Stewart gets that chance. You know, and, and that's possible. And maybe we just sound stupid, uh, you know, after, you know, on Sunday when, when, when preseason is over and, and it's been Stewart these last two games. But like, I'll take it. I'll be I'm dis- happy with that. Yeah. I'll be disappointed if Okafor gets any significant minutes in the, during the season because, yeah, he's providing, let's say for the third time, nothing in the present. And he's not going to develop that, that strongly doubt, strongly, strongly, strongly doubt that he will develop into anything further in the future. And in retrospect, it's kind of hilarious to look back and see that there was ever any question between, you know, between him and Carl Anthony Towns as to who should go first overall. So, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's where we are. With, yeah. yeah, I just want to add one. I mean, Stuart, the one thing, though, I mean, he played in a very different system in Washington. There were there were t- I mean, we played zone against the Knicks on purpose, but there were times where he was just hanging out in the paint. I, I think he was in there for like a solid six seconds, not guarding anybody. I don't think he got called for it, but he, he seems like he just needs to learn the NBA system a little bit more. I just wish they'd give him the minutes to do so. Yeah. I, I mean, just want to see more, I yeah. guess. There is no opportunity cost for giving him those minutes. Right. So, like, what – there's no cost to doing that. It's not like you are you are passing on giving minutes to somebody else who might benefit from them more. For, the Pistons might benefit from more for giving them those minutes. And yeah, it's like it's like we're talking about Julio Okafor here. Like, come on. So yeah, and the center rotation overall, like you said, is just ugly in general. You got three traditional centers. How did this happen? Like, hopefully Stewart can shoot. You got to give him minutes to shoot. He's not been given that role in the offense in his limited minutes. He's just been a role guy, an energy guy, and you'd like to see if he can do that. But, like, how in this day and age do you end up with three traditional centers? How? Like, it's just another issue, just another another thing with Weaver's offseason, and I'll rant about that a bit later. But, yeah. Uh, then we come down to the rotations, and Casey has come out and, and, and media availability and said don't read too much into the preseason rotations. It's, like, it, it's just what you know is going to happen with Casey is that the minutes are the veterans to lose. And, and that includes Wayne Ellington, for example. They're not going to get Wayne Ellington. Unless he's terrible, he's going to get minutes because he's playing under Dwayne Casey. And, and DeLon Wright is going, to, is going to get probably priority on minutes because he's playing for Dwayne Casey. And giving Dwayne Casey this many veterans is not a good idea. Because, yeah, I mean, the rotation will eventually smooth out in, in, the, way of, in the way of, you know, the foibles will, the, will take Casey some time to, to get through those, as, as I mentioned earlier in the episode. But, and, and yeah, he's, for what, very, very little it's worth, he's a lot better than Stan Van Gundy in that respect because Van Gundy would never make those changes. <laughs> but uh, but it'll take some time. And, and there's also the fact that young guy versus veteran, I mean, sure, you got to earn your minutes, but if the, if the veteran ahead of you is playing adequately well, then you might not ever get those minutes. So that's just, just a concern. And uh, I, I think that preseason is a bit of a preview, yeah, but also just Casey, their players, Casey is going to is going to give minutes to and start no matter what. 
yeah, I mean, I, I know we're of like mind about this, but you got anything to add about that? Yeah, I mean, you kind of mentioned it earlier. It's just things that we don't get to see behind the scenes. Casey has to manage some egos, and I don't know. I guess we'd maybe do things differently, but that's something that he had, there's a lot more factors for him. So that, that's all I guess I would think of. I, there are guys that we'd like to see who we think that we think they deserve the minutes based on their play, but I guess there are a lot more factors uh, at hand and, uh, you know, we just have to, I try to understand them and uh, I, I, that's how I've kind of like dealt with, not dealt with, but rationalized the Plumlee signing at the number that it is, but there are still some question marks or head scratchers like the grant contract, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and and one other roster consideration we can talk about is, of course, you know, the most important thing that has happened over the past two weeks, which is the Leangelo Ball is no longer on the roster. <laughs> I, I know you and I, I'm not meaning to deride anybody here. It's, it's just, I want to give some additional background. I, I talked about this last episode. Leangelo Ball is not an NBA caliber player. Maybe, maybe, maybe he'll develop into one. This guy was a three-star recruit coming out of high school. He was not a top 200 recruit. He played one preseason game at UCLA uh, before the season got cut short by shoplifting and almost ending up in a Chinese prison. And then uh, the entirety of his further experience was a not really standout performance in a weak league, the Lithuanian Basketball League, and then some time in a, a league that his father created, in which, he, of course, he dominated because there's no good talent there. So uh, why was Leangelo Ball brought in at all? Your guess is as good as mine. What was it, publicity? I don't really think so. Was it because, okay, we'll just toss him to G League and maybe he has something to offer? Sure. Uh, was it a travesty and get minutes in the preseason? No, because he's probably the worst player on the roster. You know, there was no promise that he was going to get minutes. He came in and it was a great opportunity for him that he even got to be on a roster and, and practice with the Pistons at all. So I don't think any other NBA team would have offered him that. So he came out ahead in this situation. He did not get screwed over. He came out ahead. Anyway, uh, as I had mentioned earlier in the episode, I had been planning on doing uh, a little bit of borderline ranting about uh, the Pistons' free agency and Jeremy Grant and his contract, but we're at about 50 minutes into the episode right now. It seems like uh, a pretty good place to stop, so we'll save that for a later date. As always, want to thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.